for those that haven't been with us throughout uh, the summer, let me give you a quick recap of uh, where we've been. Uh, we've been talking about what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law hangs on these two commandments. Every other law is viewed through this lens. Love God and love others. You get those two things right, everything else just kind of falls into place. To love God supremely is to know his commands, to follow his teachings, and to search out his heart. Because Christ is in our hearts, we're now an extension of him in this world, and we must be love to every person that we meet. This leads to a fully surrendered soul. Uh, do you remember the week that we did the game, Follow the Leader? We had the kids show us how that was played. And, and Jesus asked us something very simple, follow me. And so are you following him? Are you doing the things that he's asked you to do? Are you living life the way he's asked you to live it? To the point that if someone were to say, I don't know who Jesus is, I don't know what it means to be a Christian, uh, I want to model my life after you, and they did everything the same way that you did things, would they end up at Jesus or would they end up somewhere else? As we commit to follow him, our minds are transformed. The Holy Spirit helps us to think like Jesus see people in situations like Jesus, and then we get to live it out. God's created us all uniquely. We're all different. We all have individualized gift sets, yet we're all part of one body. And so we have to make sure that we're doing our part so that the body can function as it was designed. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is what changes and equips us to go and do the kingdom work that we've been called to do to go and make disciples. So today we're going to talk about what it means to love your neighbor. And that journey begins with how we view other people. Our scripture passage today is going to come from Luke chapter 10. If you want to turn there, verses 25 through 37. It's in this passage that Jesus reminds us again of the two greatest commandments, but he also includes a very familiar and powerful parable that defines how we're to be in relationship with one another. So let's pray and then we'll dive into that. Father, we thank you so much for your spirit that's with us in this place today. And, uh, you know, we gathered early this morning for prayer right here at the front of the sanctuary, praying for those that would come in here, knowing that everybody is here, uh, not by accident, but with your purpose in mind. And we know that there are things that you want to say to us. We know that there are things you want to challenge us with through your spirit. And so I pray that our hearts are open. There were so many times in Scripture where you said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I pray that our desire today would be to have ears that want to hear from you. And so, may you speak to us in this time. Challenge us to be more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's, uh, let's look at Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In our first week in this series, uh, we looked at a very similar passage of Scripture. If you remember that, it was in Mark chapter 12, uh, but it was a little bit different. 
I mean, that was a teacher of the law there, but he seemed like he really was searching. He commended Jesus' answers. He was intrigued by what Jesus had to say. Jesus noted that the man was not far from the kingdom of God. It seemed like he was authentically seeking after who Jesus was. But we don't have the same thing here. It says that the expert stood up to test Jesus, not be instructed by him. This man had the head knowledge, but Jesus knew that the man's heart, his motivations, weren't pure. It's a great caution for us. It's important for us to know what the Bible has to say. It can't just be about head knowledge, what's driving us, what's motivating us, who or what has our affections, what are we giving ourselves to. See, it's not enough to only love God with our mind and to have biblical knowledge. It has to flow out of a heart that's been changed by him, surrendered fully to him, a mind that's been transformed to his way of thinking as the Bible directs us. It's all-encompassing. So where is your heart? Has God captured the affections of your heart so that when you're searching for truth, you're simply seeking after who he is and not what you want? This man's heart was not in the right place. And Jesus sees a teachable moment here. So we continue on in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So we have a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walking down a road, right? Sounds like the beginning of a joke. I like it. I mean, the format works. I'll give you an example. A priest, uh, a preacher, and a rabbi. They meet for coffee one day. And they're talking about uh, ministry and life in ministry. And uh, they come to the conclusion that, that preaching to people really isn't all that hard. You know what would be hard? I'm bringing this one back, Cindy. Preaching to a bear. That would be hard. And so they decide, I'm up for the challenge. I'm going to go for this. And so uh, seven days later, they come back together to report on their findings. And so the priest went first, and the priest said, uh, I, I went out into, uh, into the forest, and sure enough, I found a bear. And I thought the best thing to do would be to start teaching him uh, the catechism. Well, the bear wanted nothing to do with that because he's a bear. And so uh, he came after me, he started slapping me around, uh, but I grabbed my holy water and I, I sprinkled it on him, and all of a sudden he became as gentle as a lamb. And in fact, the bishop is coming next week to give him his first communion. <laughs> well, then uh, the preacher, he got up and, uh, you know, the, the priest, he kind of had his arm in a sling. He had some cuts and bruises, but uh, the preacher, he was in a wheelchair. He's got a cast on his arm. He's got a cast on his leg. And uh, he was more of a fire and brimstone kind of guy. 
And he said, well, we don't believe in the holy water sprinkling. What we do is we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I saw the bear, and I told him what Jesus had done for him. And he didn't want anything to do with that. And he charged at me, and we wrestled around, and we went up a hill and down a hill. We ended up in some water, and I grabbed him, and I baptized him in that river, and his hairy soul's been saved for Jesus. And sure enough, when I did that, he became just as gentle as a lamb. We spent the rest of the day praising Jesus together. Then they look at the rabbi. The rabbi's in a hospital bed. He's in a full body cast, IV drip, monitors running in and out. He's not in good shape. And he looks up at the, at the preacher and the priest and he says, looking back on the situation, circumcision was not the best place to start. <laughs> I love last Sundays. It's like in baseball, you know, the end of a series, you got getaway day. This is a getaway day. <laughs> Do whatever I want. There was a purpose to that. See, if you had drifted, you're back with me now, right? <laughs> Jesus knew how to get the attention of a crowd. I read this week that this is, it may have been a typical teaching tool of the day, where somebody would talk about a priest, a Levite, and then a good Jew or a normal Jew. And basically what they would be doing is saying, this is what a priest or a Levite would be required to do by their office. But what, what's required of a regular person? So Jesus knows that. He knows that they'll follow that line of thinking, so he flips the script a little bit. And he exchanges the Jew for a Samaritan. And that's a really big deal. See, the tension in, between the Samaritans and the Jews was fierce. It was incredibly hostile. Um, here's some context. It was around 700 B.C. when the Assyrian army conquered the northern part of Israel. And when they did that, some of the Israelites were scattered. Some other nations moved in. And because of that, there was some intermarrying that took place. There were other religions that were brought in and idols and gods. The Samaritans, Samaria was a part of that land, and so the Samaritans tried to set up a temple. But the Jews wouldn't recognize that temple as being a true place of worship. So because of the intermarrying with other nationalities, the Samaritans were kind of seen as half-breeds. So when you think of Jews and Samaritans, we might not understand why that's even a big deal. But really, it's, it's a religious conflict, and it's a racial conflict. And those are typically pretty polarizing issues, right? So back to the story. The men come across a man who's been beaten. He's dying, and they all have the opportunity to respond. The priest and the Levite, they respond pretty similarly. They see him, and they pass by on the other side. And, and I started thinking about, love your neighbor as yourself. This was something that they should have known about. This is just a part of the law. This is what's expected of them. So why didn't they do something here? The scripture doesn't give us a lot of insight. It doesn't appear that they really struggled with the decision. They just kind of saw him, nope, going by on the other side. 
They didn't go to him. They didn't check on him. They didn't get to where they were going and send somebody else back to help him. It could be that they were going to the temple, and if he was, uh, if, if he was seen as unclean, that they could go to him, and he might be seen as unclean. They simply chose to ignore him and to act like the man didn't exist. Enter the Samaritan. Completely different response, right? It's an unlikely response. Of the three people that should be passing by a beaten Jew on the street, it was the Samaritan, and nobody would have thought any different of it. But he didn't see the person as an enemy. He saw the person as a person in need, a real human being. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He bandaged him. He gave up his transportation. He took him to an inn to care for him. He had to take off, but he paid someone else to take care of him while he was gone and said he would cover any additional costs. At K-1, we call that radical generosity. We hold nothing back. Jesus gave his life for me. I will give until it changes my life for him. The Samaritan held nothing back. He felt compassion for the man and did everything he could to help him. He modeled the life of Jesus. Jesus sees us just as we are. He took pity on us. He was wounded for us. He gave up his rightful place in heaven. He cares for you. He had to leave, but he'll be coming back again someday. And what he did on the cross covers any additional cost that may come our way. So the parable of the Good Samaritan summed up, you've really got uh, three people where you might find yourself. You've got the robbers, the priest and the Levite, and the Samaritans. So how do we see people? You can... You can beat them up, you can pass them up, or you can pick them up. Another way to look at it, you can use people, ignore people, or invest in people. Which are we to do as followers of Christ? We get our answer in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And then I just imagine this kind of epic stare down between the two of them, you know, which Jesus would win. And eventually the guy would be like, merch. Did I get it? I'm trying to learn new terms from the teens. They said merch. (laughs) All right. So that didn't work. I'll keep working on it. What holds us back from going and doing? It's not being able to see people as our neighbor. Dan Boone wrote a book called A Charitable Discourse. Uh, When it came out, it took on what would be considered some fairly hot topics. Before he gets into the conversation, though, he provided some insights as to how we keep the discourse charitable when we're talking about some fairly charged topics. The conversation changes when we start seeing others as them, or they. He refers to it as the cruel art of labeling. Remember the game Pin the Tail on the Donkey? Once the the donkey is properly pinned, the game is over. We see anyone who disagrees with us as the enemy. And if the enemy can be properly labeled or mislabeled, the verdict for destruction is in place. Once the label is applied, the discourse is lost. Labels hurt. Labels are conversation stoppers. 
We hear refugee, and we think risk. We hear LGBTQ, and we think sinner. Muslim must be a terrorist. Undocumented immigrant, they're a criminal, right? What does God see in all of those situations? Neighbor. If we want to go and do likewise, it starts by dropping the labels, seeing the person, realizing we're not all the same, just like we talked about last week, and focusing on loving every person the way Jesus loved every person he crossed paths with, unconditionally. He met them where they were at. He pointed them to God with his words and with his life. So, three takeaways from this passage as we close out our series. First, we have to show compassion. I'm preparing to teach a new course at Olivet this semester, and I'm, I'm reading the book Compassion by Henry Nouwen. In the opening, he says this, we more or less assume that compassion is a natural response to human suffering. The word compassion is derived from the Latin words pati and cum, which together mean to suffer with. Compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. Those are fun things to do, right? Share in brokenness, fear, confusion, anger, misery, mourn, weep, be weak, be vulnerable, be powerless. It sounds pretty Christ-like to me. He was broken. He walked with people that were confused and fearful. He mourned with those who mourned. He made himself weak, vulnerable, powerless. To show compassion is to walk the journey with someone else. It's to do life together. The priest and the Levite chose to look the other way. The Samaritan became fully immersed in the condition of the person that had been beaten. He stopped. He mended him. He found shelter for him. He gave financially. How about you? Do you have a heart that's ready? Are you ready to be vulnerable, to be powerless, to hurt with the hurting? Are you willing to give away the peace and the grace that's so freely been given to you through Jesus? Would you give of your resources? Be willing to suffer with. Second, take the time. Uh, it takes eyes to see the opportunities. I attended the Global Leadership Summit a couple of weeks ago, and it was a good time. Had some great speakers that uh, challenged me in some areas where I need to grow as a leader. It was real good stuff. One of the speakers, Sheila Heen, she shared a study that was done um, they took a group of students, a group of college students, and they said, in five minutes, you have to give a presentation across campus. And they gave them the topic. So they had five minutes to prepare and get to where they were going and make this presentation. It was a pretty direct shot from point A to point B. 
And so they, uh, they cleared the pathway. They made sure there were no uh, bystanders there, and they planted somebody that looked like they were in medical distress. What percentage of the students do you think stopped to help that person? If you think it was 90% or above, raise your hand. I want to live in your world. That's awesome. <laughs> How about 75%? 75% stopped. All right. 50%? 25? 10? Oh, we're getting there now. What about zero? Nobody stopped. Yeah, we got a few of those. Now, see, this would be a great question to discuss in small groups. And so if you haven't signed up for a small group yet, you should sign up for a small group so you can have these kinds of conversations to Starbucks cards. <laughs> it was 10%. 10% stopped. I don't know if this makes it worse or not, um, but they weren't just any college students. They were seminary students. And the talk that they were asked to give was on the Good Samaritan. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> now, does that make them horrible people? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they should be kicked out of the church. I did not see that coming. <laughs> How often do we miss the opportunities that God is placing right before us? That if our life was happening up on a movie screen and there was a group of people watching it, they would be screaming, how did you miss that? Our minds are constantly going. Our lives are constantly going. Head down, focused on the task, get to the next thing. If I survive the day, I win the day. You ever feel like that? If that's the pace of life, where is renewal happening? If renewal isn't happening in our own lives, how can we ever hope to love other people with the kind of love that God calls us to show? We can be too busy in what we have to do to stop and see. So take the time needed to connect with your Heavenly Father. Let Him fill you with His love. Ask God to give you eyes to see the opportunities around you. They might seem like interruptions at first, but start to see them as divine moments. If you like buzzwords, call them missional impulses or something. You feel prompted to have a conversation with someone, have it. You see someone in need and something starts going off inside of you, do something about it. Maybe you've never spoken to your actual neighbors. Go introduce yourself. Those are fairly, fairly easy, so let's dive deeper. Um, you probably never voice it, but maybe you know deep down inside of you that you carry a prejudice against a people group. It could be a race, a sexual orientation, a religious group, a political party, people that you don't want to associate with. 